Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Urban Epiphany Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Soye. It's great to be with y'all once again. Not under the best of circumstances, but we're here. So let's just get into it. No, no lead up, no anything. It seems that these times never change as different as they may be. You know, a little, a little Corona, a little lockdown, slow things down per se, but as soon as people felt comfortable again, we're right back in the same place we left. No jokes about that. Um, so we're going to start off today's podcast talking about the untimely death of Dante Wright. Uh, by now, I'm pretty sure most people have seen the video of the killing of Dante Wright by police in Minneapolis or near Minneapolis, I should say. Uh, just of it is, Dante was pulled over. Uh, they ran his ran his information police said they come to find out there was an open warrant out for him you know got him out the car or getting ready to put the handcuffs on him and you know Dante Dante didn't want to go fine so he slips away and gets back in the car there's a struggle in the video you can clearly hear hear the female officer yelling taser 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 letting her partner know that hey you know i i got the taser out i'm just gonna subdue him real quick so we can arrest him except that she didn't have the taser in her right hand she had her service pistol in her right hand shot once fatally hit dante she panics she yells out Oh shit, I just shot him, video ends. That was the tragic death of Dante Wright. Um, you can have a few different takes, a few different reactions to this type of situation. Um, for me, I'm starting to feel weird about it because I'm noticing how desensitized I am at this moment. Um, other moments in the past other untimely deaths at the hand of police in the past have brought me to a point of rage of sadness of tears emotions up and down the spectrum but this one this one I saw it and not that I didn't feel anything but I wasn't shocked right um And this situation has brought about the whole concept of training with police. Uh, If if it was an accident or not, she's been on the force for 25 years. She's had leadership roles. She was actually training uh, uh, officers prior. So she should know that officers put the taser away from their dominant hand and they put their service pistol on their dominant side. She's right-handed, the service pistol's on the right side, the taser is on the left. You know, the tasers that these officers use, they're 
not of the same design as a service pistol. They're bright yellow. They have lights that light up when you're about to use them. So you have to ask yourself with all that experience and all this training, how could you make such a mistake, right? How? How could you be so panicked with all that training, all that experience that you make that mistake? And as you're watching in the video, this wasn't a bang, bang, and excuse me for using the phrase like that, but it wasn't such a quick turnaround, such a quick reaction that you can seriously say, oh no, she didn't have time. No, she had that gun out long enough to notice it wasn't what she thought it was, in my opinion. Again, just my opinion, right? This is gonna be a bad analogy, but if I'm sitting there about to eat soup and I have a fork and not a spoon, at some point I'm gonna look down and say, oh, I'm not holding a spoon right now and I'll go get a spoon. You know, I'm not, I'm not so, I'm not starving in such a manner that I'm automatically trying to eat soup with a fork without looking at it. Again, bad example, but you get where I'm going with this. And so, at this point, I don't know how to feel anymore. And I don't know if a lot of people feel like that. It's like, I know what my emotions are, but I don't know how to process them anymore. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's this gray space I'm afraid of being in. Where we know it's injustice, where we know we're mad, where we know it shouldn't have happened. And I, you know, I just don't feel it anymore. And I think that's awful. I literally think that's awful. Um, and I'm gonna say this one more time when we talk about these type of situations, as far as, as far as black people with police, because most people will sit there and say after they watch the video, "Oh, he should have complied." You know, you hear that, you man, if you touch these message boards, if you touch these social media streets, these comment sections. It's all the same type of talk, man. And we'll continue to say it. I'll continue to say it. Just because you might be guilty of something doesn't mean you should die. Just because you resist arrest does not mean you should die. Plain and simple. And to make matters worse, there's a video going around Again, also, also in Minnesota, the video going around of white man uh, ramming police vehicles in his car has a, has an officer who's stuck on the door of his truck, and he drives away at high speed with the officer still on the truck, like the officer is hanging on the truck. That man's alive today talk about resisting arrests, endangering police lives. That man's alive today. And it goes into how we all feel about treatment of police when it comes to their interactions with black people. And again, I said it that way and in that order for a reason. I didn't say black people's um, um, interactions with police. I said police's interaction with black people. I'm telling you right now, I don't think there's a black person alive who who has sense in their body that would be driving 
on the street doing whatever they're doing, going about their day, and the police lights come on behind them and they hear the little whoop whoop, hear that little sound, and automatically don't become stressed, don't become anxious. I, I can't see that. Every black person becomes slightly afraid the second those police lights go on. I've said this before. There's a reason for that. There's a history that follows that. That's just not a random reaction, right? So we go back to this female officer and she resigned. I, I'm not even saying her name, man. I'm not, to me, it's not worth it. I don't want to bring any more attention to, to, to someone that takes life in that manner. And I say that because you're in a position where you're, you can't make mistakes. This isn't like anybody else's job. You know, I make a mistake or something like that. I can just go back into to, to my word processing program. I can go back and Google Chrome or, 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 or Word or Outlook or something and send an email and copy and paste something. And I can, if I make a mistake, I can fix it. They're in a position where their mistakes cost lives and you can't make those mistakes. You can't bring that type of attitude, bias, fear into that type of job. That's what you're trained not to do, right? Um, so she resigned from her position. The police chief resigned as well. And she has been charged with second degree manslaughter. Um, and there's a precedent for that. There's been other cases where police officers have shot someone not meaning to do that. And shot and killed someone not meaning to do that, pulling the wrong weapon. And that person, that officer had gone, had to go to jail for four years. So I think I'm a little bit more optimistic in this sense than, than, in, than in past instances, because this is something you kind of can't escape in my mind. You, you, you kind of can't, like it's like you made the box that you're in right now. And she made the box that she's in right now, plain as day. So, you know, I just want to say that my heart goes out to the family of Dante. Just like I know how every other family can feel when you're, when, you know, your mother, daughter, father, son, niece, nephew, when they leave wherever they are and they're traveling someplace and you just want them to go get where they're going safely and you want them to get back home safely. And unfortunately, in one too many instances, they don't. So we're sincerely going to pray for them. And, man, I just, you know, I just feel like as a, as a community, man, like just black people, yo, we just need a legit hug, a legit cry, a legit scream something besides something besides being tired because i'm sick of that i know you are too um another example of police's interaction with black people 
Um, if you heard or seen this video, this is from someone who's actively in the military. And excuse me if I destroy his name. My name's hard too. I, I don't take pleasure in doing that. Uh, the, the brother's name is Caron Nazario. And he was pulled over by two cops in Virginia. And now, the crazy thing is he actually didn't do anything out of the ordinary or something that they tell you you can't do. So you see, he's driving his truck. He His newly purchased SUV. He's driving his SUV. And the police come up behind him, turn the lights on. And what he does, right? What he does, especially to convey that he is not a threat, he turns on his hazard lights, then drives under the speed limit to a well-lit gas station. And honestly, thank God the brother did that. And that's within your right. You can do that. Right? He wasn't speeding, didn't get, didn't make it seem like he was trying to get away from them or anything like that. And so the video that we see picks up at said gas station. The officers are out of their car. They're yelling at him to get out the car. They have their weapons drawn. This gentleman is actually scared. His hands are up where they can see them. And he's asking them, what am I being pulled over for? Which again, you have the right to ask and which the officer should tell you. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Instead, there was a shouting match threats of quote-unquote riding the lightning from one of the officers again this man hasn't been aggressive hasn't shown any weapons his hands are visible he says he he refuses to leave the car until they actually speak to him and stop endangering them him they he tells them i am afraid right now i'm not sure why you're doing this i'm afraid i just want to understand and I'm sitting there looking at that, and I shared earlier in earlier episodes, you know, my interactions with police, so I can fully understand every emotion this man is going through. Jesus Christ, man, that's, I'm watching that video, it's nuts. So they, you know, the, the officers, they try to open the door, the door's locked. They're struggling with him. They, they mace him, you know, they spade the pepper spray in his face still screaming commands and he's sitting there saying yo i can't breathe i can't see i don't understand what's going on they finally get him out the car you know they force him to the ground <laughs> talking about oh he didn't have any his his newly purchased suv didn't have any plates on it which is why they pulled him over while the new car tag is clearly visible in the back window so now realizing that they completely made a mistake, these officers decide, oh no, we're gonna tell you we're letting you go, but you better not say anything about this. Really? Really? This is what we're talking about. But the righteous defenders of all things blue with a badge will sit there and tell you that these, these gentlemen are immaculate, you know? Oh, they would never do anything that's that's below reproach. I mean, seriously, I I'm over all the lies that they tell. I mean, 
and this is this may come off disrespectful to anybody that is a police officer and I have a lot of good friends that are but let's be honest about this 100% honest about this right the majority of police officers across the country are not the nation's best people and when I mean the nation's best people they're not the highest educated in many instances they are not the most skilled right in many instances they're doing this because this was a last resort for them or this was something that they can make a decent living with after a few years and they have a pension and they can just take care of themselves after 20 25 years or so you know it's just okay this is a life decision real quick this is just something i i need to do think about that for a second tell me i'm wrong please find me tell me i'm wrong <laughs> You know, and you're sitting there expecting these people to now behave above who they are. And think about it. They tell you certain things. They tell you money and power does what? Both of them amplify who you already are. Think about that again. Money and power amplify who you already are. So you have to ask yourself, fully ask yourself, who are these people before they had a badge and a gun? And in most cases, that's going to tell you who they will be when they have one. And so when we talk about changes in policing, it goes further than just changes in training. It goes into changes in the requirement of the type of people you are giving this responsibility to it's just the truth and again I'm not, I'm not out here trying to slander anybody who, who who doesn't fit that mold or or you know feels like they perform their duties at the at the highest of their ability but I'm just giving you the fact of the matter facts aren't pretty a lot of times the truth hurts it's what it is um and so uh mr nazario i'm not sure his rank i would address him as such but uh he's suing the police there as he should i hope he gets everything that he can get from them for doing that to him and the ironic part about it is remember during all this time when uh during, during all the time during the NFL protests when Kaepernick was out here taking a knee which they didn't realize for weeks and then when he did they made it into the thing and the other guy who was in Oval Office made it a thing and then you know white folks everywhere made it a thing you know even up to now I saw an article talking about where Brett Favre was talking about oh keep politics out of sports I just want to watch the game sir Sir, I think it would be proper if sports where a majority of the athletes performing in those sports are black people or people of color, it would be nice that, hey, if they decided to go home that day, that they wouldn't be accosted. That's happened. You know, you can't keep 
sport they can't keep politics out of sports if the ones who perform in said sports have to go back and live their lives according to the politics it's going to seep into everything right it's not going to be escape an escape to anything for anything because all things aren't equal you know it's not like going to a bar having a drink after work you know you want to get away from work yeah a bar's completely separate but now if your boss at work owns the bars you go to and now is making you feel like crap at the bar that you go to or on the way to the bar that you go to when you get to the bar you're probably going to say something about it here's what it is so I don't think you can ask a group of people to separate their entire lives from one thing when their entire lives service all the people that commit these type of acts against them right how would you feel where you feel like you can't trust police where you can't trust uh, other white people where you feel like you can't trust the rest of your country but you have to entertain them it's not something that you can say that you would feel because it's not something that's ever going to come to pass so it's really easy to say that so hey Brett you played stuff, bro. Um, makes me upset, man. It really does. And bear with me, I got some lighter, some more lighthearted stuff to, to get into. Um, but we're here now. We're here now. We're here again. And unfortunately, I don't think we're leaving here anytime soon. takes a long time to change a mindset a set of ideas a set of ideals it takes a long time to do that so all y'all that are in that fight to can to change hearts to change minds to evolve the human condition keep doing it keep working i know it's disheartening but we're gonna keep up this fight because these things have to change i know my friends who have children are fearful of the world that they have to live in. When I have children, I don't want to be fearful of the world they have to live in. And I pray, I pray that day comes to pass. Now, here is the case of irony, right? Full case of irony. Um, as we all know, on January 6th, there was violent insurrection at the Capitol on the day that they were supposed to certify the electoral votes of the presidential election. And if you've seen the clips of what took place that day, we all know about a woman named Ashley Babbitt. And Ashley Babbitt was the young lady that was killed when she was shot by a Capitol Police officer who was behind barricaded doors with members of Congress a few feet behind him while the mob was on the other side of those those doors breaking glass and they broke one of the glasses on the doors and Ashley decided to climb through 
and that officer made a decision. Took took one shot because he had a duty to protect the people on the other side of that door. And that one shot fatally wounded Ashley Babbitt and she died. And so there was some discussion, some to-do about whether or not that officer should be charged for the death of Ashley Babbitt. And lo and behold, he was not. It, it was ruled justified. And in a huge case of irony, white right-winning, say that 10 times fast, right? Right-wing America lost their minds. It was a travesty of justice. There was a ton of false equivalency to what I just spoke about, the murder of of Dante, right? As far as as well as other killings, there was talk about, oh, if she was a black woman, the officer would have been charged. Oh, they're not he wasn't charged because he was a he it was a it was a it was a black officer and you know, there's a new government, in, uh, there's a new regime in the government, and so they're trying and they're, they're trying to pander toward black people by not doing this and whatever else you could make up. And I can't lie to you, as messed up as it sounds, I laughed for a little bit. Dead ass laughed for a little bit. Cause you may tell me that you're gonna try to compare that to anything that's happened to black people who've been killed by police. And you see how my voice gets when I really get agitated, right? You really mean to tell me that you saw some type of equivalency, you saw some type of miscarriage of justice that this man, this officer, was not charged for defending the Capitol against insurrectionists who are breaking doors down whole mob on the other side of the doors the doors are barricaded he's actually plainly visible with the gun so you thought i don't know your skin was going to protect you i don't understand yeah i'm not trying to make light of life and or death but let's be honest here we all know if it was black people who stormed the capital there would have been a lot more guns being let off and a lot more dead bodies Lightly. We all know that. So, yeah, I can't. I can't hear it. There's no miscarriage of justice there. Y'all made a whole lot of decisions that a lot of y'all need to pay for. And unfortunately, she made a decision that paid with her life. She wasn't driving down the street minding her own business. There was no racism involved. Nobody was nobody was following her because they thought she was suspicious even though she just was walking or something like that. No, no, none of those things happened. So miss me. Completely just miss me. So I just find that ironic that that those are the things that that can those are the things that the white ring, the white wow, I did it again. It's hard, man. It's hard. That the right ring has decided they want to jump behind like 
those are the hills that they want to die on. And it's just nuts to me. And it, I, it's hard for me to accurately tell you how I'm feeling because I don't want to be, I don't want to be destroyed for, and I'm not even popular, but you know somebody, if you say something well, I know somebody will find you. I don't get it. That That's what you have empathy for. I don't get it. Because to me, that's subhuman. That's not even human. But that's how your empathy works. This is America, people. That's <laughs> what it is. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, y'all. We have reached that point in the episode for a little segment I like to call Today's Epiphany. And today's epiphany has to deal with trauma. Or more specifically, black trauma in entertainment. You see, I remember as a younger person, as a youth, as a teenager, around every Black History Month, there was one set of films that you saw on TV consistently. And that was Roots by Alex Haley. Now, a lot of y'all who are a lot younger than me right now might have no idea what this is. I suggest you Google it just for history, for, for historic reference, excuse me. Um, and Roots told the story of slaves being brought over, their experiences on the plantations, how they were mistreated, types of atrocities that happened to them, and went through different phases of the characters' lives. And one of the more favorite, um, one of the more famous characters, excuse me, was um, played by LeVar Burton. Uh, it's Kunta Kinte. And everyone's heard that name before. Some people might not get the reference, but a lot of us do. And Kunta Kinte was a slave. He was a proud, he was a proud man who did not want, you know, his hair to strip away from him. And when the slave masters um, were out here trying to rename slaves from the African names, they were whipping him because he wouldn't take the name Toby. Right? That's just a taste of things that happened during that series. And so we came to understand those type of films showing those type of traumatic scenes as more so historic references, not straight up entertainment. You know? Because it was more or less like, yo, this is what used to happen. And, you know, fast forward to, to now, to, to 2021, you know, a, a lot of us who grew up in that era, we don't have the taste for those those films anymore because I think we've, we've had enough of the, the, the documentary type films telling those stories, but still showing us the, those atrocities at all time. Like we know what happened. We know how we were treated. We know what white people did to black people during slavery, during Jim Crow, 
during during the latter parts of the soap, um, the civil rights movement, all the way up to now, we know. So we we don't want to see that anymore. Not not because we can't stomach it, but instead of traumatizing ourselves perpetually, we want to find the places to move past that and show what we can accomplish now, not just what we were before. You know, the, the past is not our residence. The past is our reference, right? So this brings me to current day entertainment for black people, where a lot of it comes across as black trauma porn. And I say that because it seems like the creators, the writers get off on finding ways to traumatize black people, not only in those films or in those shows, but the people watching them and then bringing that as a form of entertainment. And now I say that for the reason that I just got finished watching them um i believe it's on amazon prime and if i believe it's on amazon prime it might be on netflix i forget i kind of wanted to remove it from my mind after i finished it um and i'm gonna give you the spoiler alert now because for the fact of what it was i don't think i should respect the fact that anyone who hasn't watched it would care if i spoiled it because i think i'd be saving you Right. So this is a spoiler alert now. So if you don't want to know about it, stop listening. Cool. So here we are. So them was it's executive produced by Lena Waithe. Um, and Lena Waithe has garnered a reputation for how she has handled her series on Showtime, The Shy. Now, in watching The Shy, and for those of you who have watched, you can empathize with me. For those of you who haven't watched, I get that it's a, it's supposed to be a depiction of inner city Chicago. So now, if you have seen anything from the, you know, from the sensationalized news and all other types of ways that we frame Chicago, you know, you know, there's gang violence, you know, there's shootings, you know, there's, there's untimely deaths of young people. We know this for a fact. We know this for a complete fact. And the shy does its best to mix those elements in with elements of hope. The problem is, especially how they do it for a lot of black shows, is that they sprinkle in the hope and then they dump on the pain. And I'll preface that with uh, an explanation of one scene that to this day irks me. Um, in this last season of The Shy, again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, now we, I'm still gonna get to them. Don't mind me, I'm just on a, on a tangent. The last season of, of The Shy, and I forgot her name, so I'm just gonna call her the daughter. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell her the daughter, unfortunately. In the last season of The Shy, the daughter gets kidnapped by a man when she was waiting for the bus. 
now the she used to run track in high school so she's athletic she runs fast this is the so get this scene after trying or figuring out a way to escape for multiple episodes she finally figures out how to do it knocks old boy on his butt when he comes downstairs jets out she's like locked up in this basement ever gets upstairs it's a blackout so like all the lights are out no one's around she gets out outside and she falls down not like out of exhaustion it's almost like out, like out of joy she falls down feet from the door to the basement like she hasn't even made it off the grounds of the house she's just in the backyard and she falls down in in like the state of euphoria and joy for being able to get outside and then all of a sudden the dude just shows up behind her and just drags her back in again and then like proceeds in, on the further episodes to to sexually assault her and things of that nature and you're sitting there as a, as a viewer and you're flabbergasted because you're like yo she runs track she got outside no way in their right mind if they got away from a kidnapper is going to stop running in front of the kidnapper's house if they didn't knock him out or the kidnapper isn't dead and so that's how the shy continued its path of pain and trauma because once she once he got her again you knew nothing good was going to happen to her for a while and it didn't So getting into them, and so, like I said, she is an executive producer on the show. She's not actually a writer on the show, so I can't fully blame her for it, but it's in the vein of her types of shows. So then centers on a black family moving into, I believe it was East Compton. Well, I'll just say Compton, since I I forget which area, East or West. But they're moving into Compton in the 50s. And in the 50s, Compton is completely white. It is a white suburb. And I will say this, even worse, before I continue, even worse about the show was the advertisements for the show, because I saw two of them. See, so the first one I saw, it, it gave you the supernatural horror vibe, you know, something more akin to like us, right? And, you know, it, it gave off a very Jordan Peele type vibe. And so I was like, ooh, what's this? This looks interesting. I'm into those types of types of movies and shows. I, I, I do this. But then the second commercial I saw showed like this just regular racist undertones of the area in which they were in. And it didn't make sense to me because I was like, wait, what does one have to do with the other? I don't get it. I thought this was like a horror show. Where is the where's the normal ass racism in, you know from the 50s coming from? So we get into the show. And like I said, the family moves into in the Compton. And you know, you're automatically presented with the racist environment that they're in. You know, the, the contract that they signed for the house has a has a clause in it that says no one with with Negro blood in in their in their body can buy a home there, and the real estate agent is like, oh no, you know times are changing now, you know that this doesn't matter. And he crosses it out, right? 
and then they get there, they move in, and the white people, they all stop and stare. The wives in the neighborhood all pull up cheers and, and have iced tea and lemonade and stuff and are playing music at the loudest volumes they can in front of the, the people's house trying to drive the wife crazy, the black wife crazy. You know, just being completely inhospitable, rude. Don't know anything about these people. And again, look, the, the, the husband is an engineer. You know, he has a wife, he has two daughters, you know, a decent car. You know, he's just trying to live live the adult dream like everyone else in the neighborhood is trying to live, right? And then it starts getting weird, you know, outside of those elements of the racism because it shows you flashbacks of how the husband was was in war and he suffered some type of traumatic traumatic experiences so he has PTSD from that he's you know what's the word I'm looking for he's damaged mentally he's a damaged man uh the wife we come to find out is a damaged woman but we don't really learn why she's damaged until later um and then the two daughters one is older you know, about high school age, the other one is younger. You know, maybe like seven, eight, something like that. And the youngest ones, you know, starts seeing something weird in the kid, you know, something weird talking to her and stuff. And tells her mom, you know, it's this character from a from the book that she keeps reading. And the mother doesn't believe her. So I'm like, okay, cool. We're just gonna get into the supernatural aspect of it. I could do this. Um But did it, you know it takes that trauma turn so it's like the father is seeing images of his friends being gassed and stuff so we're getting those ghastly images we come to find out that there um the mother was raped by by these two these two white dudes in north carolina while she watched as the, i guess the mother of these dudes took her infant baby boy and threw him in a sack and like twirled him around and, and, and tossed him around and everything like that till he died and she could do nothing but watch while she was being raped and this is all a scene this is all one really really long scene and it's just a bit of that trauma why was that wasn't necessary to move the to move the story along because they used that as the basis for why they move, why, why the husband was looking for a job and why they moved to Compton and experienced this hyper-racism to begin with. So it's like, oh, we're just gonna take this trauma, right, package it up, and we're gonna move it, not resolve it, and transport it into the midst of trauma from all sides. And so on top of that, you have the oldest daughter who goes to school and she is now subjected to all manners of racist taunts you know that they're, they're making monkey noises and stuff it's obvious that the other kids in the classroom are teasing her and taunting her and the teacher instead writes her a slip to go to the principal's office because she's the one disturbing the class so, you know, things like that, that are just, you know, pinpricks in anger consistently as you watch this, this show. 
And then she starts hallucinating and seeing this random white girl who all of a sudden befriends her to the point where she doesn't believe that she's pretty. She thinks she's ugly and she wants to be a white person. She wants to be a white girl, like the imaginary ghost girl that she's been looking at. Like, yo, it's it's so much. So much. And then on top of it, right? On top of it, you now have the origin of the so-called demonic aspects of the of the show, where they show in a flashback that two black travelers ended up in a in in the settlement um, of white people, you know, during you know during the time of the Civil War, where now it seemed like they were like Amish. That's what it, that's what it came across to me as, kind of. Um. But it got to the point where they got there, did nothing but help these people, and then the people turned on them for unknown reasons. Although you come to find out that that the the head man in charge, who is the priest of this little settlement, had lost a child and was praying, you know, for another chance or another chance to be a father or whatnot. And then all of a sudden he finds this boy, this naked boy in the woods. Who looks like he's 10 years old already out of nowhere right come to find out that this this kid is is a devil or the devil and so now this kid is now influencing the mind of the priest so now the priest turns on the black people and then they capture the black people and they blind them like it's wild he's using church scripture to validate how terrible how terribly they're treating them at this point and it gets to the point where they're going to kill them and um the wife that's with the husband this is the black couple she pretty much says you know oh you guys are cursed i put a curse on you whatnot then everything around them sets on fire people you know all the townspeople just fall over dead um the priest runs into the basement of the church you know, everything's burning all around him. All of a sudden, the boy is there, and the boy pretty much tells him, yo, you could live past this if you join a covenant with me. And in the covenant, your job is to torment and and, 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 and kill black people. Which, again, I don't understand, because all of a sudden now, we're watching a movie, and now all of a sudden, the devil or demon or whatever it is, whatever it is, something demonic has now just targeted black people for some unknown reason. It's nuts, right? And that's what I watched. That's what I watched. So, the priest, again, while he's holding a cross, the priest makes a covenant with the devil and then immediately dies. And so, he's the ghostly figure that's been haunting this Contham area and making the black people see things and or do things where they either go crazy or end up dead or killing their families or whatever. And this is all outside of the normal racism. Right? And even in the show, there's a character who's the ringleader of the of the Compton suburb named Betty, who takes it upon herself. And she has a very like Nazi-ish, white supremacist type of um, um, aura with her character. And takes it upon herself to lead everybody and getting rid of the black people out of their neighborhood 
and she ends up getting kidnapped by another white man who's the milkman who has been infatuated with her because she asked him to go kill the black family and he takes her imprisons her she actually tries to kill him then he's like oh you know what fine whatever if you leave you leave if you leave I'll have to make a terrible decision it'll be the hardest decision I ever have to make and he leaves the little hatch where he in, in, in the bunker that he left her in it's like a fallout shelter again this is so much leaves it open she climbs out she starts running she thinking she's getting away and this dude yo shoots her I, I have to say about 300 yards away with a sniper rifle so that was like the only ironic closed character loop there that was the person that was so racist being scared about being scared of black people was actually taken out by another white person who she should have been afraid of like that was the only closed character loop in the entire series you know there's scenes of there's scenes of torture cause you know after Betty goes missing you know they think it's they think it's 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 the black family that did it. So you know they got a scene that they're they're beating the dude, they're beating up the husband. I'm the black husband. They're beating him up. They cut off one of his fingers again for what I don't know. It wasn't necessary. And then to make things worse, when the black family actually comes out on top and just through sheer willpower, you know, defeats the the demonic entity, the priest, whatever they want to call it, that was tormenting them. There's no real ending. Like they're still in the neighborhood. There's, you know, all the residents are screaming, yelling at them, calling them, calling them all types of horrible racist words and everything like that. And they're just standing outside, and then it's just the end of the series. And I sat there and I left it like, yo, none of this made any type of sense. And again, yeah, I get it. There's a lot of things in supernatural thrillers that don't make sense. But this, this was just a journey into the deeper recesses of black trauma porn. There was never any moment in time where I felt genuinely happy or that something good was going to occur. It felt like it felt like it felt like someone was just taking their time in between giving you paper cuts just nonsense to me and I was like you know what I'm never watching anything like this ever again I don't want it I, I don't want it I, I want more stories I want different black stories you know that every every story about black people doesn't have to just deal with our trauma and our anger and our damaged emotions it doesn't have to deal with that even uh even the um even the movie on netflix with denzel washington jr i mean i get it that yes there are toxic relationships and, and, and that's how some of them work themselves out. But damn it, I didn't need that. I didn't want that. I, I need something different. I need a different aspect of us somewhere else. 
right? Entertain me with all aspects of us, just not the negative ones. Just not the ones of us struggling at all times. Just not the ones of us being in pain at all times. That doesn't entertain me. I don't leave that feeling, you know, with a sense of satisfaction after I watched it. You know, I think that's why so many of us like Black Panther so much when it came out. And, you know, from a movie standpoint, it's not the greatest movie, but it was a great movie. Why? Because the entirety of it was a black story, but not a black story rooted in, in our trauma. There was more going around it outside of it. There was joys to be found, even within the fights. Lessons to be learned, even within, even within the trouble that occurred. But these type of trauma stories I'm not with I'm not with the slave stuff anymore we know we all know we can all tell you what happened we know you feel me we don't need to revisit that and when I say we don't need to revisit that I don't mean for educational purposes but I feel like we don't need to revisit that in the name of entertainment because to me, that's the cop-out. That doesn't work for me anymore. Just give me stories. That's it. Just stories. I mean, I, I know some friends, some dope friends that... that Working on some stuff, putting some stuff out. And I firmly... I'm hopeful for it, man. I, I enjoy it because it's different. You know? It's really different. I mean, seriously... When was the last time you saw a film or a TV show that wasn't just the popular ones? You know, just wasn't blackish or something like that, that. That didn't just focus on our trauma. That didn't show us in pain for the sake of feeling pain. I mean, listen, I watched a lot of Cream Sugar lately. And I never thought I would. Um... And even even there, I, I see bits of it that bother me. And I say that because if you ever watch Queen Sugar, again, great actors. But, yo, nothing good happens without setting you up for the worst thing that can happen in that moment. Any, any episode that gives you a scene of togetherness or family is just setting you up for something else to crumble and that I don't like because to me now it's not even like surprising drama it is oh you just you just want to bring me here so that when this happens I feel terrible about it it's hard I, I it's not my favorite thing I mean shoot man I just I just want stories I want regular life stories I want regular interaction stories I want I want natural love stories I all that but not the trauma man not that I think that's why we like um I think that's why we like things like family matters in, in a different world so much because for the majority of those shows the majority of those seasons yo they were just stories something where you sat down and you was like oh I could see myself doing that or yeah that happened to me like watching a different world as a 
as an adult, and I actually was watching a couple episodes before I, I jumped on to do this. Yo, watching that show as an adult, man, you you realize how unrealistic it is showing the college experience, but then again, it made college feel wholesome to you, did it not? Like it made you made it feel like something that you were okay doing if you chose to do that. It wasn't one of those, you know, preachy type of things. It's like, hey, this is what you have to do, and this is where you need to go, and you're not good enough if you don't do this. No, it wasn't anything. It didn't preach to you that way. But it gave you stories. It gave you characters that you wanted to see over and over and over again, and it didn't make you feel terrible at the end of the show. I missed that. I don't know about you. So that's today's epiphany, y'all. That black trauma and entertainment, stop it. It's old, it's finished. Come, some, come with something new. Something better, something improved. Give us real creativity. That's what we got. As always, I want to thank everybody for listening, joining in. Whether you agree or disagree, it's all good with me. Um, you can come through and hit me up on social media. You can find me on Instagram at Urban Epiphany Pod. Come through, share a like, subscribe, follow. You can come through on Twitter at the UE Pod. Let me know what you're thinking, what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear. Listen, we're open to all suggestion and all opinion. Spice of life, you know what I mean? Um, going forward, I wish y'all peace, man. I, I firmly, firmly hope and pray that whatever you do, wherever you go, once you leave your house, you, your friends, your family, your loved ones, I hope that y'all all can leave the safety of your homes, do what you gotta do outside in life, and reach back home safely again. It seems, it seems so little, but it's so big at the end. You know? Have a great one. Peace.